Have you ever been confused by God's Word? I mean, the Word to us that I'm hearing is, is we must be children who surrender our lives to the Lord and give everything that we have. And yet at the same time, we know that in our flesh, we struggle with the ability to do so without feeling shame or fear or doubt or brokenness because we don't measure up. And we hear from the Word of God that we are blessed because we have a God who shows us mercy. And He's gracious and compassionate. He's, he's slow to anger. And yet, He says, be warned. For if you say, Lord, Lord, I might chew you up and spit you out. You might be like chaff, blown in the wind or burned up. And, and most of us, if we put all of this incongruence into our brain, we just kind of go, I don't like this fickleness of our God. Is he compassionate and forgiving or is he angry and just in wiping us out? Yes, he is. Because we are unworthy. We're not worthy of what we've been given. He has made us worthy. And that, there's the, the cognitive dissonance to the rest of the world is the world doesn't know how to surrender to an entity that allows for brokenness. We just elected broken people to office. You heard all the accusations on television. Every two seconds is this bombardment of this person's a baby killer. This person doesn't have the right word. This person has a company that just lined his pockets with money. This person, you know, he's not just a, uh, um, a guy who's going to, to uh, Washington, D.C. to... to uh, give his own word, but he's going to get things done. Well, okay. The reality is we can go to every single one of those candidates and say, you did do some things that are not in line with the kingdom of heaven. You did some things that aren't in line with supporting life. You did some things that aren't in line with the people of Ohio and the best uh, for their purposes of getting more jobs here and uh, getting our economy rebuilt and getting our prices for gasoline down and all on and on and on and on. It's not perfect. God who promises us salvation, promises us uh, abundance, promises us that should we honor him, he will not only honor and bless us, but do so in an abundance. We don't deserve it but we receive it in ways that we have to surrender in order to see. If you were reading prior to the text that we received this morning for the Old Testament in, in Malachi, or some like to say the Italian prophet Malachi. In Malachi, um, this, this, the text comes in a context of the people of, of Israel being warned that they were robbing God. They were stealing from him. And you and I could ask the same question that they asked. How, how, 
The last person I want to be stealing from is God, okay? Everybody with me on that? I mean, we don't want to be stealing from God. And yet, we have all sorts of excuses for why we don't surrender our lives to Him. Surrender our tithes to Him. Surrender our goods, our children, our everything to Him. So that there is only one lens that our lives go through. Instead, we say, you know, I really got to save for that vacation. God won't mind. I'll catch up. I really have to do this, that, or the other thing, so I'm going to cut back on my time. Because God won't mind. He doesn't notice these things. Now, maybe we don't say these directly like this, but our attitudes, our behaviors, our habits express that. That's completely why we've been doing the rule of life. Trying to get our habits to line up with a pattern of kingdom thinking. Making the time to curate, to cultivate, to create a life that patterns ourselves daily after the heart of God. So that it's not just rote memorization or empty ritual. We can all be religious. I pray that everyone religiously brushes their teeth in the morning, right? Or I pray that you, you know, you religiously wash your hands in an age of cold and flu, right? But the reality is we, we don't have all of those good habits. There are people with bad spiritual hygiene, and you're not getting a daily diet of time with the Lord, of time in His Word, of an awareness of what He's doing around us so that we can participate in the setup that He has. I love um, uh, Bishop Angle says, he goes, you know, we, we speak of God as Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, but I like to think of Him as Jehovah Sneaky because He's sneaky. He loves to set things up in our lives so that when we join him in the joy of doing things, even when it is sacrifice or surrender, or even as we just heard in the New Testament this morning, death. We there and those who know us will find joy in that surrender because what he has to give us is so much more. So, in the Italian prophet Malachi, Malachi, uh, chapter three, earlier on in the chapter, he, you know, um, asking the question of who will rob God? And the answer comes back in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, that's a pretty broad statement. And then he makes the statement of who God truly is and what he really wants to do in our lives. So here we're feeling guilty. Pastor's done a good job now. He's stuck it to you. It's the end of the season. This is a giving season coming up to Christmas, and we got to get our, our tithes and our budget in line, right? That's what Dan's doing. No. I want you to hear the scripture behind why we tithe, why we offer, why we surrender. The scripture is that 
Malachi says, bring, I'm going to say Malachi, gosh, you know, we say it once and it's stuck in there. Um, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, verse 10 of chapter 3, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. There are very few times in Scripture where the Lord says, test me and see. This is what comes out. Test me and see if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke and devour uh, for you so that it will, not, it will not destroy the fruit of your soil uh, or your vine or your field will not fa- fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will ca- call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, you have to hear behind this text, the reality is that the enemy's desire is to, to be the devourer. I will rebuke the devourer. Well, how are things devoured? I heard um, somebody on ESPN this week saying, comparison is the death of joy. I love that phrase. Comparison is the death of joy. He says he sees football players getting out on the field and in their very best, with their greatest heart, when they have joy on the field and they're out there giving it their all, they play so well. But when they compare themselves to another running back or to another fullback or to another whatever position they play on the field, then they start to go, oh, I'm not as good as, or I should have done this, or I should have, should have, should have, should have, should have become a big pile of should, right? The reality is we get to be who we are and walk in it the way that we should and not let the devourer take and destroy the things that we think are going to happen. Therefore, we don't get about the tasks that the Lord wants us to do because he will not destroy the fruit of your soil if you're faithful to the Lord. He will not destroy the vine. It shall bear, says the Lord. And all nations will look to you and say, what do they have that we don't have? Why are their vines producing tenfold? Why are, they ha- why are their fields so rich for harvest? It's because the Lord is blessing it. And because our focus is on Him, we're doing our job. The reality behind this incongruence that we think is that blessing just comes out of nowhere for no reason. But when we are obedient to the Lord, when we walk in his ways, when we listen to his statues, then we do his will. And in doing his will, in tending the fields, in making sure that our daily patterns in life are ordered in such a way that we're, we're taking care of the widow and the orphan and those who have been Uh, thrown aside in our culture, then there's blessing that comes out of it. And we together have something that is much more than our individual limited efforts or our laziness. And that's why the Lord keeps coming back again and again and again upon the nation of Israel. He says, you've forgotten my statutes. You haven't lived them out daily. You've not been giving because you've come up with excuses. But I promise you, if you would offer to the Lord what little I've asked, he's only asked for what measures to a tenth. 
Uh, interestingly enough, an Old Testament professor of mine said that if you actually mes- measured what tithes and offerings really were in those times, because an offering was like a sheep or you know some some animals to represent during certain holidays during the year, it might be more like thirty percent of your goods and finances. But when you think about what we really have to offer. It's not everything that God's asking us to surrender our lives, absolutely, but we get to spend the money, the rest of the money that we have. We're giving just a a measure back so that together we might do something bigger than we could do by ourselves. That's part of the reason why we we come together in church. The church represents a vision, a mission, a, a gathering, a collective that we can do some things together. You've heard some of those great things when we feed the hungry at the Peter Maurin Center, or we're together with working for ARDF, or we're collecting clothes for those who are in prison, or we're together visiting and bringing tangible signs of God's kingdom to those who have stage four cancer. All of those things corporately are getting done. They couldn't be done by one, just, just one person. They have to be done by the body, with the body. And I, I venture to say, I remember being in Savannah. This is a, not a stewardship sermon. It is not, not intended to be one. Uh, but I remember during a stu- stewardship season, a guy who used to work for the IRS got up, and he was, um, he was the treasurer that year appropriate to have an IRS guy be your treasurer. Um, and, and he was saying, I've, I've put you all on welfare, taken you all and I've leveled you to the place where you're all now, um, uh, you've lost your jobs and you are all receiving from the government. And you're receiving at a certain rate and I've done the rate and he popped up some charts and was very visual. And he said, you would be earning a 60% of what your typical income is. And, and I want to I say to you, if you were tithing off of that amount, this would be the amount that was in our budget, and a, a tangible gasp went through the congregation. Because at a tithing rate of um, welfare or uh, government-sustained income, the congregation would have a budget five times the size it was. That is because the assumption is 10% goes to the storehouse, meaning the storehouse only being the church. And many of us have multiple interpretations. I'm not going to go there um, because I, I, I want you to, go, to give as God has led you to give, and 10% to the Lord could mean St. Luke's, could mean ministries that you are connected to, I'm trusting you to search your heart and and know what the Lord has led you to. Not out of compulsion or anybody coercing you, but out of a cheerful, giving heart. The point he was trying to make was that we have a lot of resources, and should we bring them into the storehouse, imagine what we could do for the kingdom. The same point is here if we live a life of surrender and we brought the full, ha- full tithe into the storehouse, imagine what we could do, St. Luke's, together. Now, as the Lord was speaking through the prophet Malachi to the people of God, he said, Behold, the day is coming like an oven when the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that's coming will set them ablaze, said the Lord. The Lord will divide between righteousness and disobedience, evil and good. And he makes a promise here in the context of promising that he'll throw open the storehouse and bless his people if we are willing to bring it all in. Behold, the day will come that I'm sending Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn hearts to the fathers. The hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. We love that phrase because we think, oh, what a beautiful restoration. We know that there's brokenness in our culture. We want fathers and children to be restored, reconciled, right? But it was, it was also a, a visual picture of, of what God wants with his children. He wants children to rest under the cover of obedience, his authority. When his authority is covering them because his children are obedient and following his way and bringing their gifts to him in, full, in the measure that he's asked for, then blessing pours out from his house. There's peace. There's not enmity. There's not division. There's not all this stuff that we experience in the brokenness of our world. And haven't we experienced it lately? We watch the division in our culture and I hear constantly people putting words into it. Well, there's going to be a civil war someday. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I know that as redeemed people, the church can rise up and show the world a better way. Show the world that we have the ability to walk in righteousness and surrender ourselves to the living God. So as we heard the gospel lesson spoken to us today, Jesus uh, is talking about the temple. He's got a visual aid that's very clear in people's minds because people had made their pilgrimage to the temple. People had seen the stones that made up the temple. And he talked about it so casually that to say, not one stone. We, we have special stones. Like if you look at the, uh, the um, font, the, the baptismal font, or, or the relief that was, was done by Vinnie behind it, we, we are blessed by the beautiful scene that was carved into it. And we've gotten so used to it that we don't pay attention to it anymore. But just take some moment in meditation sometime when this room is quiet and empty and just come over and just look at the beauty that was expressed in the artistry of a single man whose gift was to sculpt a scene that should be blazoned into our heart. And as we do that, we realize that God has put so many of those pictures in our mind because of the gifts that he's given the body. And they're looking at the temple saying, oh, it's a beautiful expression of the heart and beauty and love and majesty of God, right? And Jesus goes, not one brick will be left on top of the other. I'm telling you that the day is coming. And they asked him a question. Uh, and the, the question was, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the signs of these things when they take place? And he doesn't directly answer the question, does he? He says, see that you're not led astray 
for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. You'll hear of wars and tumults of war, but do not be terrified for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Nations rise up against nations. There'll be earthquakes and various famines and pestilence. There'll be terror and great signs in heaven. Uh, but before all this, will, uh, they will lay hands on you and they'll deliver you over to the synagogues. They'll put you in prison. Some of you may even die. Oh, happy day. The end of the world is coming. No, he's saying, understand this. To stand for kingdom principles means that there will be persecution. But if you surrender to the Lord your God, there will be blessing beyond measure. He says this, I will, I will, don't worry about beforehand or meditate upon what you're supposed to say in these circumstances, for I will give you a, put, give a mouth, uh, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. <laughs> what a phrase. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Wait a second, I already have a mouth, and sometimes I have wisdom. <laughs> Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he will speak for you. And your words will be a testimony to my name. So whether you live or die, whether they kill you or raise you up as leadership, you will be exalting my name. And your rewards will be so much better. Not a hair on your head will perish. Okay, here we are confused again, right? Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Not a hair on your head will be touched. Which is it, Lord? Am I going to be blown away like dust, like ash? Or am I going to stand raised in a body? Is it an earthly body like the body that I'm in? Gosh, I'm ready for an upgrade. How about you? There's, there's more for us in heaven. And the answer to the question is, again, yes. We have to surrender so much that we are not worried so much about this earthly shell that we live in, but more worried about doing the will of God so that it might be a testimony to the power of his name and encouragement to us and to the body. When you do well, like when you do really well, whether it's, it's uh, my friend Patrick, his son was running his last race in high school, runs cross country, has come up from freshman year to senior year and done so many races. And to, to see the pride that he has and to see his son and his small little track team from um, Winchester, Virginia, take second place in the state. Uh, it's just amazing. And the thing that it does to a son's heart to receive that kind of affirmation, well done, is life-giving. You can take the world on with that feeling because you are confident in the fact that you have lived up to the things that you've been called to. You've pressed in and gone as far as you can, and you have run the race with completion. So, as Paul is speaking today to a group of young Christians, he's reminding us that if we are to fully surrender to God, 
don't surround yourself with idle people. Don't, this is, this is to Dan Morgan, don't surround yourself with people binge-watching CSI. I like CSI, and I've binge-watched now and again. But it doesn't help me do anything kingdom-wise when I'm sitting there just absorbing just somebody else's make-believe world. There's a real world for me to participate in. There's a real God to show and reveal to me great things that I can see and do and have illustrations for. Finally, Paul says to the Thessalonians, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them. Don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Make it clear what we stand for. Be a proclamation of the kingdom to a world that needs to know that there are boundaries, that there are measures by which we can live, and that there's joy in living it because it's not a killjoy to live by God's commands, but to walk in his will and to surrender our stuff. We never owned it to begin with, really, because he can't take it with us. So whatever we have, if you see an opportunity, I remember one one Lent, a good friend said, um, my Lenten discipline will be when somebody notices something that I have or I see someone in need. I'm asking the Lord to nudge me so I can give it away. Especially the things that I particularly like and want to hold on to. Ouch. And what a discipline that was, not only in what it was to let go of those things during Lent, but also to be able to have a testimony to the people that were watching around going, wow, this guy is surrendering everything. To be blessed by the Lord in other ways. We think of the blessing of the Lord to be spiritual. We read Malachi and we say, God's going to throw open the storehouses and we'll have all the money that we need to do whatever we want to. I can't wait for the big deck that's going to go on the back of this building. I call it the rector's deck. It's... (laughs) It's going to you know, have the opportunity for us to spill out of this room, uh, which is going to be set up with tables so that we can have banquets and conferences and Holy Spirit anointed um, nights and weeks and months of great joy. And we're just going to spill out into God's glory and there's going to be a new sanctuary out front. I can see it in my head. I have no idea where the money's going to come from. And if it's God's will, it'll come. I don't believe for a second that this passage means that all that money is going to come and we're going to have more money than we know what to do with. I do believe that if I were to surrender my life in such a way that I'm at least willing to give 10% of everything that I have, that maybe even 20%, maybe up to 30%, that my tithes and offerings, that my time, talent, and treasure would all be an opportunity to bless the Lord and his kingdom and together in this body that kingdom use of those resources would go out so much further than they could if I were just trying to do it by my own bootstraps or by my own will. Because my own will would probably go out and buy a new guitar or some toys and say, oh, I'm surrendering it to you, Lord. I get to play this guitar in church. I have plenty of guitars, as you can see. God wants it all. 
so that it might be a testimony to the power of his word, the ability for us to continue to, to do good in his name, even if they persecute and kill us for that great name. Because when they do, what happens is a greater word that goes out. I don't have an illustration. I looked for one, um, and I'm not sure that the Lord wanted us to just focus on an illustration, but uh, there are illustrations out there of people who have given their lives for the sake of the Lord and what's followed because they were martyred has been something greater for the kingdom than you could ever dream of. And I, I, you know, each of us could come up with our own heroes of the faith, right? We know people who've surrendered their lives and their time and their talent. What the Lord wants you to do today is not go crazy. You don't have to hurt yourself for the kingdom. You just have to be surrendered. Trust him to work in you. Trust him to fill in the gaps. Trust him to use the things that you surrender to him in time and talent and treasure so that he can make of it what he will through the life of the body. Not with strings attached. I, I, I love when we get to budget times of the year and we, we kind of go, um, every once in a while somebody come along, I want to give a gift to the church. But I want half of the gift to go to this fund and I want a third of the gift to go to, to, to this uh, particular line and I want these other things just to be held. Like, Can you put a line on in, uh, item in there that, that just you know, can hold on to so that later on I could tell you what to do with it? And the answer is no. No. Bring the tithe into the storehouse and, and let the, the people, the process, the body that's been raised to steward those gifts by God to be faithful with it so that we might make an impact on the world with what we've been given. Paul ends his portion of this letter with now may the lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way we will sleep at night when we are in line with the lord's will we will rise with energy and joy and power and gifts and ability when we walk in his will so here's my uh, exhortation to you it's a familiar one in culture just do it. Amen? Amen? Father, I surrender myself and I pray that we too together would surrender ourselves to you that when we recognize uh, what we are called to, yes, there are things that seem incongruous, uh, the ways that you'll act, you bring, you are, you are so just and so powerful and you condemn evil and yet we see the footprints of it in our lives. We don't want to be destroyed with that but we, we come to you, Lord, right now and we say we surrender and we want you to build in us, cultivate in us, curate in us the ability and the habits to look more like Jesus. Help us to surrender to that so that we might have a testimony to the world of your great name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.